Welcome to The Total Self Considered. I'm Jeff Fine, psychotherapist, nutritionist, and fitness coach. This podcast is all about bringing you cutting-edge research, experts' opinions, and the latest thinking on how to build more fulfilling lives. Whether you're in a rut and wondering what you can do to get unstuck, doing well but want to take your life to the next level, or just want to learn the most effective ways to improve your physical and emotional well-being, listen on. I'll be talking with respected professionals devoted to mind-body health from a wide range of disciplines. We'll share with you the best tools, strategies, and insights that you can start using right away to overcome obstacles that get in the way of enjoying life and creating your best total self. I'm Jeff Fine, and this is the Total Self Considered. And we're here with Dr. Lori Freeman. And Lori's given me permission to call her Lori. Hi, Lori. Hi, Jeff. How are you doing? I'm well, thank you. Have you seen any couples today? Um, let me think of I see. I think I've seen all individuals today, but I do tend to see about half couples in my practice. Oh, half. Okay. Uh huh. So uh, let me just uh, tell people a little bit about you, and you can, of course, add anything or edit anything I say, but I just want people to get to know you a little bit. You have a a very impressive uh, background. You're an Ivy Leaguer, right? You went to uh, University of uh, Penn. Yes. And you got your uh, uh, Bachelor of Arts degree there. You majored in psychology, psychology, and then you got your... uh, a doctorate in uh, counseling psychology at Columbia Teachers College, Columbia University. Yes. And you're also in private practice here in New York City, just uh, not too far from me, down Mm -hmm. uh, a few blocks away. And you are a uh, psychologist, certified emotionally focused therapist, uh, an EFT therapist. You're also a certified EFT therapist and supervisor. And I can say from my own uh, process of learning and uh, working to get certified in EFT that it's it's a real challenge and learning process. So you have really accomplished quite a bit to not only become certified, but also to become a supervisor. Well, thank you. And you're you're welcome. And you're also a certified AEDP therapist. That's Accelerated Experiential Dynamic Psychotherapy. And uh, that's another body of work that's really fascinating, but not in the scope of what we're going to talk about today. Mm-hmm. I know you, Lori, because uh, you have been a, you know, an amazing mentor and supervisor to me, and I've been learning from you now for maybe over a year. I've been talking with you about my cases, working towards certification, and you know, I can speak to how talented in EFT you are and how well you know this model, like the back of your hand. Thanks, Jeff. I just have uh, amazing respect for the work that you do. And I think that listeners here today are uh, really in for a treat as we kind of unpack what uh, EFT, emotionally focused therapy, is and how it can be so helpful to couples who are struggling. EFT, emotionally focused therapy, is, uh, some would argue, the most effective model of couples therapy available, and that's largely because it's one of the, I think, maybe the only empirically validated theory of adult love. Is that right? Uh, It it has the most research um, in terms of uh, couples therapy and 
I think therapy in general, maybe. And it does very well on the outcome studies. And we're talking about outcomes that are measured a few years after therapy. So if you look at distressed couples who go through this process, a good number of them, uh, depending on the study, like 70% and some 90% of these couples are non-distressed years after they've completed therapy. Because the main thing in EFT is that we aren't just changing the way people interact. For example, we're not just saying use an I statement instead of a blaming statement. We're not just dealing with the symptoms, but we're really changing the bond, the connection between two people so that... uh, we are changing the patterns and the fabric of uh, what's between them. Right. That's, it's really uh, so important what you're saying. First, just the, the validity of the model that, you know, the success rate um, defined, I think what you're saying is defined by uh, even years down the road, you know, what couples report in terms of their level of distress is so dramatically decreased mm-hmm. that we know it works. Yeah. Right. And then you're also saying that, that, you know, the way couples therapy has been in the past, it's been uh, often trying to fix problems, you know, problem solving, offering insight and trying to explain behavior to couples. And I think uh, EFT offers what we call a corrective emotional experience. And that's been proven more effective. Right. Right. So if um, before I learned EFT, um, if I I actually did not enjoy working with couples so much before I learned EFT because I didn't have a real roadmap. But if I had a couple that came in complaining that um, one would load the dishwasher in a way that uh, really pissed off the the partner because right. you know, I told you a thousand times I like it loaded this way. So if you do it that way, it really, you know, why would you do that? You know, you could really get stuck in the content of trying to solve a problem like that. But if you really go layers underneath that, like what the meaning is, so every time she loads the dishwasher like that, it makes you feel like she's not paying attention to you, makes you feel like she doesn't care about what matters to you. Can we talk about that? Now we're talking about the emotional meaning of it, and we're no longer in content. And that same argument is playing out over and over in their lives, whether they're talking about the dishwasher or what time one of them comes home from work or how they're parenting their kids. Right. So, uh, there's been lots of dishwasher fights, right? Right, right. We all have dishwasher <laughs> fights. Yeah, there's yeah. a lot of dishwasher fights. So as we as we kind of dig into this and we hear, you know, you're, you're not dealing with content. You're not advising a couple fighting about the dishwasher. You know, well, maybe you could do it on Wednesdays and Thursdays. Okay. Uh, mm-hmm. No, you, this is the brilliance of emotionally focused therapy and what makes it so different and so effective is you're digging under and trying to find out what are the feelings that the partners have, you know, around what happened. Exactly. And helping them to be able to talk about it, which they're not. Exactly. So, so we, are, we are dealing with content in the way that when couples come in, they're going to bring 
with them into the room their latest uh, conflict often. That's, that's often where they are. Um, and it's not that we'll say, we're not talking about the dishwasher. You need to talk about something deeper. We won't, we use the content to look at the attachment issue that's being highlighted through that content. So couples will feel that they can bring in their stories. It's not like they're, um, going to be told that's not appropriate for our work. That's right. So, I mean, in fact, you know, one of the important aspects of VFT is that it's so accepting and inviting of the of where the couple is, where partners are in their story. Yes. Right. So I thought that uh, I would give uh, a little vignette. Uh, you gave the dishwasher vignette, which is, you mm-hmm. know, uh, a, a good example. And I thought I would give a vignette here uh, that can kind of set the table for us to talk a little bit more about some other important aspects of EFT, like uh, attachment theory, separation, distress, and uh, and so on. So um, I created this. There's, there's no breach of confidentiality here. I, it's a it's a made up vignette, but one that. I think lots of uh, people can relate to. And and so the vignette is that uh, last week, Mary asked Joe to hang a picture near the front door. And since then, every day when she comes home, she sees the picture is still on the floor and she is furious. One day, Joe comes home from work and Mary unloads on him. She tells him that he's lazy, irresponsible, and sadistic. And Joe immediately defends himself, attacking back, saying Mary is heartless, has no compassion for how hard he's working. And she would criticize how he hung the picture, no matter how perfectly he did it. So then Joe storms off to his room, slams the door and locks it. Mary runs after him, sobbing and pounding on the door, screaming, let me in, let me in. And Joe puts on his headphones, turns up the music and ignores her. Poor Mary and Joe. It sounds really painful to be both of them. Doesn't it? You know, yeah. and when yeah. couples are in, in the throes of this, what we will talk about as a, a sort of a cycle that they get into. They're so upset. They're in so much pain, both of them. Uh, they both feel so misunderstood. And how can we understand what's happening for Mary and Joe through the attachment theory lens? Um, I like what you're saying about what is their cycle? What What is their pattern of interaction that they get into repeatedly? And it's demonstrated by this little moment in their life where right. Mary is going to um, be upset about something because the picture's not hung. And so her, what her way of responding to feeling triggered or upset is to pursue Joe. So she goes toward him to try to uh, get what she needs and to settle herself down. Unfortunately, the way that Mary does it is that she criticizes him. She calls him lazy and irresponsible and then goes towards sadistic. And none of us is going to respond well to this way of being uh, invited to be close, right? Right. So what Mary really wants is to feel good and to have Joe do what she needs and to feel close with him. But unfortunately, her way of criticizing him is going to make him feel pretty crappy. 
So he doesn't feel good, doesn't want to sit in that shameful place of I've let her down again. And he responds to that bad feeling by getting angry, right? He's angry that she's criticizing him. And he storms off saying, you're critical and I could never please you. And she responds to that. She's not going to feel so good having being criticized either. Right. So she starts pounding on the door going towards Joe because that's what she does to fix it. And what he does is he is a withdrawer. So he pulls away. He just wants this to blow over. Let's just be OK. He ignores her and puts on his head his headset. Right. That's right. So both of them end up feeling alone and criticized and not so good about themselves. When the truth is, underneath all of that, most likely both of them are hoping that they could feel good together, that the picture had been hung up, or that she had been okay with it not being hung up, and that they could feel uh, close and attached. I I really love how you uh, kind of uh, unpack that and put it into a cycle. Mm -hmm. And and, uh, that's what we talk about when we're thinking about a cycle. And how can we understand their reactions in terms of attachment theory? And when we talk about attachment, we also talk about separation distress. And sometimes we talk about it in terms of alarm bells go off inside of us. That the connection that we have to our most important other is threatened in some way. And then that causes us to behave in ways that we don't understand. Right. So if we understand it in terms of the brain, the part of the brain called the amygdala is the one that looks out for life and death uh, signals. You know, I have to be vigilant because if I'm going to die, my brain sends out uh, cortisol and adrenaline and I'm in fight or flight. So if I come to close to a cliff or uh, something falls out of a window in New York City while I'm walking by, my heart's going to be beating like crazy and my blood pressure is going to go up and I'm going to have all of these physiological responses. And interestingly, those are the responses that we have when we think that when our, our brain perceives that we are losing the connection with our significant other. It's such a primal threat, right, Lori? Yeah, exactly. And it's really, I think that um, we've all experienced it, you know, like that feeling of, oh my God, this isn't, this doesn't feel right. It happens in all different ways, but we also have different responses to it. And so in your vignette, Mary's response to being triggered that way is to go pound on the door, to go after Joe. And Joe's response to being triggered that way, and he equally wants to be connected, but his way of responding to uh, feeling that kind of panic and fear is to um, ignore Mary, to close himself off with the hopes that this will calm down and they'll be okay. And that the threat will go away and they can become reconnected somehow. Mm Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and, and just to add to what you're saying, that uh, there's, a, there's research that shows us that when we feel hurt or rejected by our partner, that uh, it triggers the same circuits in the brain as physical pain. Yeah. And, so, and this really jeopardizes our sense of safety and security, which is really 
the most important thing that we we want in with our partner is that sense of safety and security. Right. 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 So when these couples get into uh, this negative cycle, where we have a pursuer and a withdrawer, this can lead over time to to chronic states of resentment and caution and distance. And then when when couples come to our office, what do you see when couples are in this state? You know, they've been, let's say, you know, a couple has been in this cycle of attack, defend or pursue, withdraw, you know, where one person is attacking and criticizing because he or she feels uh, the bond is being threatened or they're not seen or heard. Um, and the other one is withdrawing, feeling so threatened and criticized and afraid that maybe they're going to lose their partner or they're never going to get it right. And then we find them in our office for that first session. Mm-hmm. Um, how, how as an EFT therapist, how do we start to help a couple to understand what's happening for them? When people first come in, there's so much uh, vulnerability to even coming into a therapist's office with your relationship. I think that most people are afraid that they're going to look bad to the therapist or put another way, they want to justify their position so that the therapist will be the judge and the jury and decide that, you know, who's right, who's right in each instance. Right. overall. And that is just a normal human thing that we want, you know, because we all want to be understood and validated. Yeah. So one of the nice things about EFT is that as the therapist, we have an assumption that both parties have very good reason for feeling the way they feel and acting the way that they behave in their negative cycles. And so we are doing the opposite of shaming them or, like you said, validating their behaviors. And the tricky thing, I think, for most new EFT therapists is being able to hold both partners while you've being able to validate one partner and hold the other partner at the same time. So when you loaded the dishwasher like that, you felt the other partner, you felt uh, like she wasn't paying attention to what mattered to you and like you didn't matter. But you, when you loaded the dishwasher, that wasn't your intention. That wasn't the message you wanted to give. You're saying you were in a rush and you um, you had different reasons for loading the dishwasher that way. Or for Mary and Joe, when you get to that place of panic, Mary, when you see that picture still sitting on the floor there and you are wondering, like, what's going on that Joe's not paying attention to what I need, you get really upset. And is that when you say you're lazy and you're irresponsible and you're sadistic? And what is happening underneath that? What is What is going on before you say those words? So then Joe is able to tune in to uh, what the hurt feelings are that Mary has or what the pain is that Mary has, which is going to feel very different for him than tuning into criticism and um, feeling like he's being fired at with bullets. Right. Right. And I think what's so uh, amazing about what you're saying, you know, as I'm listening to you, 
mm-hmm. I feel like my nervous system is quieting down. Just as you mm. describe this process of really working to hear both both partners and to give them a sense of you know what you're feeling really makes sense mm-hmm. and, and mm-hmm. what you're feeling you know under the circumstances I can understand why you're you, you got so worked up and that mm-hmm. has a way of, of soothing the most escalated couples when both partners start to feel like what I'm feeling is not crazy yeah, and what my partner is feeling isn't coming from hating me. Right. Right, because it's kind of like so many times I'll have people say, like, why do you even want to be married to me if you think I'm critical and or you think I'm lazy and irresponsible and sadistic? Like, why are you fighting for this? Right? It's a very um, common feeling, you know, because I've, I've been attacked in that way. But now I'm understanding that before you attack me, you're in that terrible panicky place because your feelings are really hurt and you think you're going to lose me. And I'm that important to you that I put you in that place. And that is such an amazing reframe mm-hmm. that, you know, we talk about changing the conversation or changing the dance. We help couples to be able to hear each other at a, at a different level. And then we do something almost right away, which is called uh, the enactment that really helps to change the conversation between couples. Could you talk a little bit about uh, what happens there? Because that really helps to facilitate a new understanding, right? Yeah, I'm glad that you're bringing up the enactment because... The first change I think that takes place is that awareness that the cycle gets us and it isn't that you're the bad guy or I'm the bad guy. And then the next big moment of change happens in enactments. And that's when we ask one partner to turn to the other partner and hopefully look into his or her eyes and speak some truth from a place that um, they don't usually speak from. So if we're usually at the tip of the iceberg in our relationship and we're usually saying things like, you know, you're lazy and irresponsible. Well, you're so critical that no matter what I did, it would come out wrong. We're at the tip of the iceberg. But if I'm going to do an enactment, I would never ask somebody to do an enactment from that place. I would want them to say something like, You know, when I get into that horrible moment where I am afraid we're going to get divorced, I don't know what to do. And I something I get activated and upset. And then what comes out is you're lazy and irresponsible. But what I really am feeling is, oh, my God, my feelings are so hurt because I'm not sure if you still care about me like you used to, because maybe you would have hung up the picture. Right. And so in this scenario, in this vignette, when Mary communicates that to Joe, Joe gets to hear from Mary something very different, right? Yeah. His, his nervous system is quieter. He's able to hear Mary's feelings at a, at a deeper level about what she's really struggling with. Right. And if you notice, Mary is showing vulnerability in that enactment. That's right. Right. She's talking about very vulnerable feelings, which are the opposite of criticizing Joe. So if if we point the finger at our partner, we're not being vulnerable. And if we point the finger inward at ourselves, we're more likely vulnerable. And the 
really brilliant thing about this is that our partners often, and almost always, but not always, respond with empathy when we're vulnerable. When, when uh, partners get to see the softer side mm-hmm. of, the, of each other, Right. I'm less dangerous when I'm saying I get so scared that you don't really love me anymore. You don't look at me the way you used to. I'm a lot less threatening to you than when I'm saying you asshole. Am I allowed to say that? Of course. (laughs) This is what couples say that and a lot worse, right? Right. We didn't discuss that before. (laughs) It's okay. Um, Um, But I'm a lot less threatening if I'm not calling you names, if I'm really saying I'm so scared that you don't care about me the same way you used to, right? And so that allows my partner to come in close, and that's why when we're doing enactments, quite often um, two things happen. One thing is that the person who's saying something directly, looking into their partner's eyes and saying something vulnerable quite often they start to tear up and the emotion just really uh, comes in when they do that. Whereas a minute ago they were saying it to the therapist and it was all in their head, but not in their heart. And then the second thing that happens is that the partner feels uh, big feelings, intense feelings when um, their partner is being vulnerable and looking into their eyes and they often will reach even physically in response. And then you have two people who came in the door who were just defended and angry and protected. And all of a sudden they're, um, they're reaching for each other and there's tears. That's right. And so there's a certain kind of uh, safety and security in that moment that maybe has not been felt for years. Yeah, that can happen. Right. That can happen. And it's such a, uh, you know, when couples feel safe and secure with each other and they they have the sense, you know, I can count on you, you're going to be there for me, I can trust that you see me and you hear me, Uh, that really, you know, when we talk about uh, the mind and body, you know, and how they're so intertwined, it really uh, becomes an amazing buffer towards life challenges and the stress that we endure, when we have this primary, secure, safe connection, we really do better, don't we? Yeah, that's all the research says that, uh, you know, that people who have a secure attachment, people who are in a marriage, their health is better, their happiness levels are better. Yes. Right. And this can be a marriage uh, or even if couples are living together mm-hmm. or partners, this could be uh, mm-hmm. gay or straight. It doesn't matter. If there's a safe and secure right. connection, uh, couples, uh, their immune system is stronger. They just are, are uh, more successful in the world or can be. Yeah. It's hard to feel disconnected and isolated. It really is so painful. You know, without making sweeping generalizations and, you know, assigning gender stereotypes, you know, we want to be sensitive to that. Um, we do tend to see some some trends, right, um, where men can tend to, to be the withdrawers and women tend to be the pursuers. Is that something that you would agree with? I really like your caveat at the beginning because while 
that may be predominant. I certainly have had many women in my practice who emotionally protect themselves and withdraw more when triggered. Yes, and, same um, here. Right. And certainly I've had many men who who pursue when they are uh, feeling emotionally unsafe that they, they want to work it out or they, you know, they're, they're the ones pounding on the bathroom door while somebody's locked inside. Right. I want to be careful that like we're, what we're really talking about is emotionally pursuing um, because men are very often the, the pursuer when it comes to the sexual cycles right. that couples have. But those same men who may pursue um, to initiate sex very often are not uh, able or willing or going in the direction of being vulnerable emotionally and bringing up uh, like uh, conversations that are hard to talk about or feelings that are hard to talk about. So um, there's different ways that we feel comfortable pursuing or, or times that we are more of a withdrawer. Our job as the, uh, the therapist is to help couples sort out the, the dance, you know, the cycle that they get caught mm-hmm. on, caught in. And, yeah. you know, as therapists, we're careful not to come in with assumptions. Right. And also, while we're saying that, I'd like to add in that people are so um, unique and multifaceted and none of us is purely one thing. And whenever we categorize, we always run the risk of getting a little bit too reified in it. And um, another example of that is that in different relationships, you may be a withdrawer or a pursuer, Uh, whether you're talking about your most significant romantic, you know, a marriage relationship versus friends, or you might even be talking about like in a first marriage and a second marriage. Right. Or even, for example, um, when somebody retires, like somebody in the uh, one partner retires before the other, and were they the pursuer, and afterwards are they the withdrawer, or the opposite? Yeah, could right? really like be. that we can change. That's right. Well, maybe we could explore this uh, in a different way and say, not uh, make it gender label, but what would typically a person who is withdrawing think and feel and what behaviors might they exhibit, whether it's male or female? Mm-hmm. You know, we have, we have certain ideas in EFT that we, we have like tools in our toolbox. And some of those are about looking at what is a withdrawer usually say, what is a pursuer usually say. Right. Um, and we could talk a little bit about that, but with the understanding that that doesn't really mean that only pursuers say this or only withdrawers say that. But generally withdrawers are afraid of like performing incorrectly. Like I won't get like in your example, I can never get it right with you is what Joe says to Mary, right? That's a typical withdrawer statement. Right. And um, pursuers are typically worried that, their uh, partner isn't going to stay connected. And you could think of it as being abandoned, right? Like, I need you to not leave the house until we have figured this out, or I'm really hurting and you're walking away, you're putting on your earphones, you're tuning me out. That's typical of the pursuer. Right. 
And to kind of come full circle, uh, I think as we're uh, winding down here, couples, what they really want, just to, re just to reiterate, they want to feel safe and secure with each other. Mm -hmm. And when they come to us, we become their kind of process consultant to understand what's happening between them that is getting in the way of that safety and security. Yeah, nicely said. Right. Uh, thank you. Mm -hmm. That's New York City sirens, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, mm -hmm. uh, that gives people a taste of our city. Yes. So. Um, I don't even hear it. Oh, no, no one hears it. <laughs> And, and so uh, we we enter into the uh, with the couple into this kind of uh, processing with them, uh, with the understanding that we want to help them develop a safe and secure connection, and we're going to patiently validating them as much as we can along the way, and helping each partner to feel you know understood and heard and seen by us, um, so that we can then help them to feel heard and seen by each other in a safe and secure way. And what EFT does so differently than uh, any other model is working with these emotions and processing the emotions and the dance and the cycle that couples go through. And maybe you can just say a couple of uh, words about working from the bottom up versus the top down that we're really trying to um, pay attention to the, the feelings, the attachment longings and the primary feelings, the ones that are vulnerable, um, so that we can um, help the partner to tune in to that level of understanding the other partner, because we all... Because that creates what you're talking about is that that sense of you have my back and you get me and you um, I can count on you responding to me when I need you. Right. And that's so different than telling a couple, uh, giving them we might give some homework sometimes, but it, it's so much more effective than telling partners, well, this is how I'd like you to talk to each other. This is what I'd like you to do when you go home. Here's your assignment. And then they come back and they say, well, we had a terrible week. We got into it again. Yeah. But when yeah. we work from the bottom up and, and understand the feelings that are fueling these reactions, these feelings of fear and uh, panic, really, the attachment panic that or the rejection, the shame, that is uh, when we work in that, in, in that realm, we really, and the research shows, that EFT can be so effective. Right. You're making me think about how a lot of times the behavior of one or both of the couple can be really pathologized. I'm glad you're saying that. Yeah. Yeah. That like people can see, um, you know, like let's say I'm in a couple and I start to get very childish, um, like I'm throwing tantrums. And the more that I am upset and acting like a tantruming child, the more my partner is acting, um, let's say, in his head and superior and uh, pulling away emotionally because it's not very attractive that I'm acting like a tantruming child. Right. And then um, if you were to go in and see a therapist who is not EFT trained, um, perhaps 
I would be labeled as the uh, the presenting patient. Like I, I'm the one with the problem. That's right. Because he's contained and um, intellectual, and I'm acting ridiculous. But the more that I act ridiculous, the more he contains and withdraws, and the more he withdraws, the more I'm out of control. And there's the negative cycle that is so painful. Right. And so if we, uh, you know, in older ways of working with couples, you know, we might say to, the, to this person who's having the tantrum, well, you know that when you do that, you're obviously not going to get your needs met. Right. So, right. So, <laughs> That's going to help me a lot. Right. So can you see that when you throw a tantrum, you're not helping your cause? Mm -hmm. right? So we know that that kind of intervention is not. It, right. Having said that, I do think that we can slip that in. You know, like there's something that's causing you to get so out of control. Let's see if we can understand what it is that's upsetting you like that, because it's certainly not getting your needs met, you know, because the more you do that, the more your husband seems to be uh, shutting himself down or moving away from you. And the more he does that, the more you kind of throw these tantrums that don't seem to work. So let's Let's get underneath that and understand what's making you so upset because there's it feels the like it's really important. Yeah, and there's the difference. So, you know, we can kind of uh, highlight what's actually happening. But what the, the difference, which you just so beautifully articulated, is that we're saying, let's get underneath that and see what's happening for you that's making you so upset. And that's the yeah. difference with EFT. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So uh, couples can expect, uh, they often ask, well, how long is this going to take, right? And we even have mm -hmm. that information, typical number of sessions that research shows uh, where couples can really change their relationship in much more positive ways and lasting ways. But is there a number of sessions that we're saying now in EFT? Well, to be really honest, Jeff, I, you know, the, the research that was done with that um, where Sue Johnson, who developed EFT, was supervising a group of people um, repeatedly in many research projects. I don't really think that reflects how it goes in real life with your typical EFT therapist, to be very honest. So they would do the work in 20 sessions. Um, so there, there's so many factors to look at because if you have people who have been through real trauma in their lives, then they have uh, very sensitized reactions in relationship. And that can take so many more sessions and you need to move much more slowly. That's right. When when one or both of them has trauma. Um, secondly, I think that I, I'm all over the map in terms of how many sessions I, I could never answer that question. What's the typical number of sessions we'll need to make change. I had one couple who were about 70 years old and they came in one session and then, and they had an individual session each. And in the individual session, the person said to me, you know, we're really done because we sat on this sofa and there was so much love between us. And in the last 10 years, um, we've been so angry at each other. They never came back. I didn't call to follow up, but uh, I felt like in her individual session, she was basically giving me the follow up. Um, and in that one session, something felt really good between them, and that's what they needed. 
And that's um, when you felt really good, right, Lori? The one I session miracle? Oh, I wow. I feel good. <laughs> and I, um, I don't know if I've ha- I think I may have had one other therapy where, uh, you know, of course somebody can come for one session and they don't like you, so they don't come back. That could right. happen too. But I would say that um, there's no typical number for how long it takes. It's really until uh, we see the result that both people are hoping for and wishing for and longing for. And we- yes, but I will. Uh, one other thing I do want to say about that is that um, when we when we think in EFT terms, very often at the end of stage one, we have people who are de-escalated, so they're not fighting so much anymore. They're having more and better sex. They're getting along, um, and they might say, "Like we're done." But we haven't affected second order change at that point. We haven't transformed the bond. We haven't gotten into really the kind of enactments where they're talking to each other from a very deep place. Um, that really is what EFT is about. So sometimes people end when they're feeling some symptom reduction, but we will probably see them again. Or we could say, you know, they've they've done part of the work, but they've they've maybe got what they wanted and what they uh, thought they could expect. I would kind of use maybe a, a medical metaphor here and say it's kind of like you know you're told to take an antibiotic for a certain length of time, <laughs> but you take an antibiotic for three days and you suddenly start to feel better, and so you just stop taking the antibiotic, but. Mm. The, uh, the the vi- the bacteria has actually not been fully addressed and, and not mm-hmm. resolved. Yeah, nice. Mm-hmm. Right? So, mm-hmm. well, you know, Lori, um, I, I think this has been great. Uh, you are amazing. You've just uh, given so much uh, valuable information. I hope that uh, people take away from this uh, a sense of hope that there is a path forward. And that- I hope so. And that EFT is is really the uh, the most well researched, cutting edge uh, model of therapy that offers really distressed couples the the best chance to make the repairs that they really long for. So uh, thank you so much for your time, Lori. You're very welcome, and thank you. Thanks for listening to the first episode of the Total Self Considered a podcast dedicated to bringing you the latest thinking and advice on how to build happier, healthier, more fulfilling lives. In coming episodes, we'll chat with mind-body professionals from different disciplines like counseling, fitness, nutrition, physical therapy, and many others. And if you have any suggestions for who I should have on the show or what topics we should discuss, let me know. Visit MyTotalSelf.com and send me your questions and comments using my contact form. While you're there, check out the Total Self blog for more advice, insights, and strategies to help you enjoy life and create your best self. Once again, the website is mytotalself.com, and I'm your host, Jeff Fine. Join me on the next episode of The Total Self Considered, and until then, take good care of your total self.